from days of long ago. From uncharted regions of the universe comes a legend. Now make sure you say my name right. It's Latam. See, I talk about things other people are scared to talk about. What they're afraid to say. When I walk into the building, you know what they whisper to each other? This is Robert Latow from BlackSportsOnline.com, and you're listening to, or you're watching, the Ugly Truth Podcast, where I don't tell you the pretty lies, I tell you the ugly truth about what's going on in the world of sports, entertainment, politics, music, social media, whatever's hot in the streets. And as I told you when I rebranded the show, we will have special guests on from time to time, and with the divisional round of the playoffs uh, starting this weekend, I thought it would be good to have someone from the Dallas Cowboys join us on the show. I got my good friend Clarence Hill from the Fort Worth Star-Telegram. He's been covering the Cowboys for the last, almost, I think it's almost 25 years now he's been covering the Cowboys. He's been covering the Cowboys so long, he probably was in the White House uh, with, with Mike Irvin. I probably shouldn't say that. He probably don't want me to talk about that. But, hey, you know, it was good times back in the 90s if you smell what the rock is cooking. So I, I got him on the show. First question I asked him, is he the curse for the reason that the Cowboys make the playoffs so infrequently uh, since the 90s? So here's what he had to say, and I hope you enjoyed the interview about the truth about the Dallas Cowboys. Clarence, let me ask you something. How many playoff games have, have you actually covered in your time uh, uh, reporting for the Cowboys. I put it this way, because I'm, I'm going to make it simpler. I've seen the Cowboys win three playoff games since I started covering teams in 1997. They, some people said you the curse. <laughs> you know what? I, I would think that, you know, I, I can understand that, that that would be a curse, but then I look at the president general manager's name is Jared Jones. I think it's pounds are bigger than me. <laughs> All right, well, well, the Cowboys are about to come out here on the on the West Coast to, to take on the Rams. So I wanted to get you on because Cowboys always drive uh, a lot of discussion. Uh, the first thing that I have to ask you is uh, what turned around the season? I was there at that Monday night game uh, where they lost to, to the Titans. And it seems like the season was just, you know, going downhill and people thought that maybe uh, uh, the coach would get fired or off. everybody would, would you know, be the, the whole ship was sinking. What changed, um, you know, after that game? You know what? They were three and five and left for dead. You know, at that point, we were all talking about, you know, a coach's search and there was questions about Dak Prescott and, and everything else. But but Cowboys never wavered, never believed they were losing close games. They weren't getting blown out. And the trade for Amari Cooper took hold. I mean, that 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 game, that Monday night game, was the first game after he was traded, and things hadn't really taken hold yet. And, and, and how his presence would change the offense for Zeke and Dak Prescott, and and after that, you know, things started clicking and went on a roll. But but I would say easily that the presence of of, of Amari Cooper and what he did for for Dak Prescott in that past game and. And, and take some first time with Zeke out of that running game, change that offense. But the defense has been playing well all season. The defense has been the best part of the team. They ended the season in the top five, and, and you know if they're going to go to the Super Bowl, it's going to be because of this defense. So uh, speaking of Dak Prescott, uh, you know being the, the, the quarterback of the Cowboys is always going to come uh, with a certain amount of attention. Uh, attention, and he's gotten it from a lot of different 
people a lot of different ways, a lot of different things on the field, off the field, how he handles himself. Uh, you, you're with the team, you know, all the time. You know, what is your impressions of Dak, uh, Dak Prescott, the quarterback, and Dak Prescott, the person? I mean, let's just start with the person. I mean, I mean, A, number one, you know, you got to understand that how hard it is to be quarterback in Dallas, how hard it is to be black quarterback in Dallas, following Tony Romo, uh, a biracial kid who was raised by his, his mom and his family. And, and I know we're going down all those different roads regarding the anthem and how he handles things. Dak Prescott, to be in the situation that, that no one ever thought he would be in as a former fourth-round pick, uh, this was not promised for him as a fourth-round pick. You can say whether he should have been a fourth-round pick or not, but you get drafted in the fourth round, your developmental project, you're going to be on the bench for a few years, and, and maybe you're developing to a backup. You know, he was thrust into the starting role as a, as a, as a rookie uh, because of the injury Tony Romo. He had the finest rookie season of any quarterback in NFL history. He, he took a little nosedive the sophomore because of Ezekiel Elliott was out for six games, and, and then you know, they struggled this year. They changed the team and, and lost some veterans, and, and he struggled on the field. He had to deal with stuff off the field. I don't know. Anybody who could have handled on the field, off the field, how he handled everything better than Dak Prescott. That's what everybody's always said about him, that, that he was a stand-up guy, a leader, uh, handled things well, and the type of guy you want to lead your team. Now, Ken, is he a Super Bowl caliber quarterback? Do you feel confident that he could take – you guys already, already won one playoff game. Do you feel confident – uh, that he can beat. He's going to have to beat some good teams if he wants to win the Super Bowl. Do you think, and you know the quarterback always has to make some plays, uh, is he the type of quarterback that can lead this team to the Super Bowl? You know what? I think he can make enough plays to lead the Cowboys to the Super Bowl, yes. Will that be this year? I don't know. Uh, but I, I do think he can make enough plays to do that. I mean, I, I would compare him to a quarterback like Steve McNair. Where things weren't always pretty, but he was a leader he made play with a matter most. He was a rugged style guy who who did things with his arm, did things with his feet. It wasn't always the way Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady do it. It certainly won't be the way uh, Patrick Mahomes does it. But the results are what matters. And, and, and no one has won more games since 2016 uh, than Dak Prescott other than, than Tom Brady. No one's brought the team back to more quarter victories than Dak Prescott. Not any quarterback. Uh, and he just somehow finds a way to get it done. We're talking about a guy, we're talking about Super Bowl quarterback like Brad Johnson and Trent Dilber. I mean, a lot of different type quarterbacks that won a Super Bowl going back to to, to uh, Phil Sims and, and, and Jim Hostel and, and all those guys. I mean, you don't have to beat Peyton Manning to win a Super Bowl. I mean, just remember when Peyton Manning won his second Super Bowl, that team was led by his defense. It wasn't on Peyton Manning's arm. Absolutely. So I, I, yeah, I agree with you on a lot of those points. I'm curious to see how this all plays out, especially uh, uh, this weekend. Uh, so let's talk about you know the real polarizing figure of the Dallas Cowboys, uh, Jerry Jones. Uh, you know, it's 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 he's been for Jerry. He's been out of the spotlight for you know since the team has kind of turned it around. Have you seen anything about Jerry Jones, about his attitude or how he's handling the media, how he's handling the team that's been a little different uh, than the previous years, or is it just kind of we're, we're not talking about them because they're winning? Well, I mean, Jerry, Jerry. And, and, and the great thing about Jerry is good news, bad news, 
just spelled my name right. All publicity is good publicity because you're talking about the Cowboys. If you remember in 2016, Jerry was the one manufacturing the Rumble controversy. Oh. You know, the head coach, you know, Stephen Jones, the quarterback coach, offense coordinator said, we're, there's no way we're going to the Rumble no matter what happens. It was Jerry Jones who's coming out of the media talking about, I'm dreaming of a day of 20 Rumble rescuing us to the Super Bowl, creating a controversy with the rookie quarterback that didn't need to be done. Uh, so he, he likes the picture. He likes the spotlight on his TV. He, he has no problem with that. And so he talks to us every week. He does two radio shows a week. He talks to us after every game. It's just that there's nothing controversial that's come out where you may seem like he's quiet or, or not making news. But but Jerry's in front and center like ever. And, and he's certainly feeling this trip back to Los Angeles. Remember, Jerry's the one who helped uh, basically swing the votes for us, Crockett, to get that team moved from, from St. Louis to Los Angeles. He's the one who got this stadium going. His uh, marketing company is the one that's doing the, the concessions and the marketing for this stadium, just like he does with San Francisco and Atlanta. And all. This is like his baby. He, he's cool. feeling proud going back to this playoff game with the Rams in, in uh, Los Angeles and getting ready for that new stadium that's going to be open. Now, Jerry hasn't taken a step back. Jerry's not any different than he ever has been. They're just winning, and there's right now no controversy. So with Jason Garrett, you know, just kind of moving along to all of the Cowboys' topics, uh, when you think about Jason Garrett, do you see a coach that is the type of coach that has changed the franchise, that's responsible uh, for, you know, wins, that is, is motivating and getting them where they need to be? Or do you see a coach that, you know, is just – is doing just good enough because of the talent uh, that is put around him. I think coaches are kind of put in those two different categories. You know, you see Sean McVay and they say, well, the Rams are the way that they are because of Sean McVay or because of Andy Reid or Doug Peterson. Do you feel like Jason Garrett is that type of coach or is he just kind of the type of coach that's just kind of floating along um, in that Jeff Fisher type of vein uh, where he's not, you know, on that upper level, but he's just good enough not to get fired? <laughs> you know, and, and, and you know the, the latter may be part of it, but but let's let this year play out. But I, but I tell you what, you know, the, the Cowboys are here because of Jason Garrett. I mean, you know, he's the reason he chose Prescott over Romo. You know, that wasn't a coincidence. That wasn't you know he could have done it like a lot, a lot of people and, and went back to to what was known and what was comfortable. He chose to make that decision. He, he chose. You know, to move away from Dez Bryant, and a lot of decisions, a lot of players on his team are here because Jason Garrett wanted them here, and and he chose the makeup of this roster. He has a huge impact on all of that. Now we can question his leadership and and play calling and decision making, and you know he's well, he's inspiring. But but one thing for certain, these guys don't quit on him. You know, they've never quit on him. You know, they've been eight and eight, but they, you know they have the only time they really had a bad record when when Tony Romo wasn't there and, and they lost their quarterback and they were 4-12, but they, they've always been competitive. They played to the end. It's like when they were 3-5, and five, you know, they didn't quit on Jason Garrett when everybody around them quit on him. So so we'll see. I mean, you know, he's not the, the shining new toy. He's not one of the young, I guess, offensive gurus, uh, so to speak, the, the, of the Sean McVay ilk and, and what everybody's trying to get nowadays. And you look at his record and his, his tenure is so long and, and his playoff record is more like Marvin Lewis. Uh you know, really never done anything, but he's just been there because, you know, the coach like the owner likes him and his owner is comfortable with, you know. Uh, but, you know, the Cowboys are here because of Jason Garrett and the decisions he made. That's for sure. Now, is he going to lead them to the Super Bowl and, and be that guy? I don't know. I think he's done enough 
so far this year to keep his job. Now, what's your prediction for, for, for this week? You know, playing the Rams, uh, you know, similar to, reminds me a little bit to how, how when they played the Saints, you got this high-flying offense. And like you said, the defense has really been uh, what's been carrying them through, throughout the year. Uh, when you, how do you see this game, you know, going kind of in your expert opinion? Well, I man, I, I think on paper you have to say the Rams should win. You know, and they should be the favorite. And I was, I guess, if I was betting man, or I, I, I would bet on the Rams just because of what they've done all year and, and this high octane offense. But you know, just keep in mind that the Cowboys will have a. It, it, it won't be a true home field for the Rams because there've been a lot of Cowboys fans there. If, if not forty percent, it may be fifty percent. Cowboys fans because they have such a huge presence in L.A. Uh, this great Rams team, their Achilles heels, they can't stop the run. You know, all those names they got on defense, they can't stop the run. And the Cowboys' formula for winning against anybody is running the ball and controlling the ball with Zeke in their running game and, and keeping the opposing offense off the field. Certainly that's what they have to do. Uh, the table is set for them to do that. question is, can they keep Goff and Gurley and those guys down and, and how much the, the, the rust for a Rams team that played in two weeks and Gurley hasn't played in, in, in a few weeks, you know, will that impact them? Uh, Goff did not look good late in the beast. You know, can he get some of his magic back? Uh, this is a winnable game for the Cowboys. Uh, they have a chance to get back to the NFC title game for the first time since 1995, the last time uh, they won a Super Bowl. They're chomping at the bit. They feel good about their chances of going to L.A. and winning. The last question I got for you, and I don't even know if there's words uh, to it. I actually express it, but can you give people that you know aren't in Dallas uh, that are maybe not Cowboy fans really a, a understanding of how big the Dallas Cowboys really are in, in this landscape, regardless if they're winning or if they're losing, whatever's going on. It seems to me when you when you're talking to Dallas Cowboys, you know I think. The same way people talk about the Lakers or the 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 uh, the Yankees, uh, but with football, you know, it's it's a little bit different. Can you just give someone that you've been there for a very long time, you've seen them at the highest of the highs, lowest of the lows, what it's like for someone to put on that star in their helmet, and you know, what's it like to be a Dallas Cowboy, and, and how people come at you, you know, for for reporting on it, just that that aura uh, of being quote unquote America's team. Yeah, and I, and I guess I'm going to date myself because it's, it's, it's yeah, I know when they were winning the Super Bowls, they were like the Beatles, you know, and, and you go to opposing hotels and on the road and, you know, the lobbies filled with, with fans trying to get autographs and breaking their necks just to get a glimpse of those guys. And, you know, I started covering this team, you know, t- toward the end of Roma, I mean, not Roma, but, but Aikman, Emmett, and Irvin, and Dion's career. Those guys were larger than life superstars and, 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 and they acted that way, and and, and so and, and people treated them way, and, and it's, even though the Cowboys haven't won, uh, that aura is still there. The opposing fans, you know, are not the opposing fans, but their fans travel to every game, and they're in every stadium. They take over a lot of stadiums. They certainly take over uh, the hotels when they're there, and it's and it's, and it's a great atmosphere. And, and I, I know I keep telling these Cowboys, they think they're hot stuff now. You know, they feel good about themselves. A lot of them got radio shows. A lot of them got T-shirts. They got all this paraphernalia going on. If you think you're out stuff now, win something. Win a Super Bowl, and you'll see how big you really are. Clarence is a really good dude. Uh, always been a big supporter of, of BSO. 
uh, my early days when I was out covering things, especially in Dallas, uh, would always help me out, uh, would always introduce me to people, uh, took me under his wing, uh, been a very, just a good mentor and someone that I kind of talk to about anything uh, in regards to media, personal, he's always there, asked him to do the show, no problem, did it without even, you know, asking me what it was about, he was ready to go. So really good guy, the good guy to follow uh, if, you, if you're a Cowboys fan or a Cowboys hater. Uh, because he has the internal knowledge, uh, intimate relationship with Jerry Jones, Stephen Jones, a lot of the players, uh, the organization as a whole. And he's like I said, he's been in there for you know 20 plus years. So no one uh, does it better. And if the Cowboys continue on this ride uh, throughout the playoffs, he's definitely someone you would want to follow on your social media account. So just search by Clarence Hill and you'll, you'll be able to find him no problem at all. While we're talking about uh, the divisional games. I guess I can get some predictions. It's not really a prediction style uh, podcast, but uh, we're already talking about it. So let me go ahead and give some predictions that are probably going to go wrong. Uh, but so I wouldn't put, you know, your money on it. Like I wouldn't bet my money. So, you know, I wouldn't bet your money on, on, on what I have to say. Uh, but, you know, a couple of upsets and a couple of favorites I think are going to win. Uh, I like the Colts. Why not? The only reason I like, here's why I like the Colts, not just because they've been hot and things like that. It's just, I need Andy Reid to prove to me that he can win, you know, one of these first round, you know, games. If he proves it to me, then I probably feel more confident picking them, you know, possibly going to the Super Bowl. But right now, you know, all of the history tells me that this is going all the way back to the Philadelphia Andy Reid days, is that somehow he's going to blow it. So... For, for that reason, I just, I just don't have no faith in them. And, and right now, I'm taking the Colts. Uh, as far as the Rams and the Cowboys, uh, I think this is, you know, set up very nicely for the Rams. I think the, I think the Rams prefer to play the Cowboys uh, as, as opposed to having to play the Eagles or somebody else they would have to play. I think, I think it's nicely for them, and I, I think it's set up nicely. And I think the experience of taking that L last year, uh, it's going to be really helpful in their preparation this year. I heard Todd Gurley is is back to almost a hundred percent. It will take it would take a magnificent game from Dak Prescott, and I know Clarence has a lot of faith in him, and he does make clutch uh, plays. But he's the type that for every clutch play he make, it's quite possible he'll make four or five that'll put you in the hole as well. So I'm going with the Rams with that. Uh, Chargers and the Patriots. Um, the Patriots got a little bit of what I like to call the Warrior Syndrome. You know, it's like they went eleven and five, but it wasn't a good looking eleven and five. So people kind of, you know, kind of give it the side eye. I, I like the Chargers in this. I, I think this this may be Philip Rivers' uh, year. You know, depends on who they end up playing. Uh, if they do win, you know, in the, in the AFC Championship, but. Uh, I like the Chargers in this game. I just think they're you know a better team, and I don't think playing on the road um, in New England is going to you know phase them in any shape, form, or fashion. Uh, as far as the Eagles and the Saints, come on, man, it's hard. It's hard to beat the Saints uh, at home. I do think the Eagles will play better than the, than when they got blown out during the the regular season. And if I was the Saints, I wouldn't I wouldn't take that. Uh, that blowout, you know, I take it with a grain of salt. I wouldn't think that you, know, you could just do that again. But I do think they're going to win, even though you can never count out Nick Foles. The Robert Ory 
of the NFL, but I'm going to go ahead and take the Saints. So those are my uh, predictions on that. And if they go wrong, um, they just go wrong, and I never talk about it again, and you guys will probably never talk about it either. So there you go. Now, before I get out of here, I think I should speak on this because obviously it was a big, it was a big deal last night. Um, it was after I had already uploaded the uh, podcast about the NFL hiring practices. Hopefully you guys listened to that. Uh, late last night, late on the East Coast, Central Time, uh, not quite as late on the West Coast, maybe around 10 o'clock. Uh, there was a story that, that came out earlier in the evening that Kyla Murray, uh, was, you know, Oklahoma quarterback, was thinking about declaring uh, for the NFL draft, for those of you that don't know, Kyler Murray is a two-sport uh, star. Drafted, I believe, ninth uh, by the Oakland A's um, in the MLB draft, and is considered a uh, first-round NFL quarterback uh, prospect. Uh, he signed a or agreed upon a, a contract, pretty big, you know, for a baseball player. Uh, a rookie baseball player, pretty hefty contract, you know, something like four or five million guaranteed right up front signing bonus and all of that good stuff. Um, four or five million a year, something like that. And uh, most people assume that, you know, he's going to play the one year at Oklahoma and then uh, football and then, you know, go play baseball. Well, you know, he's a young man and, you know, for all, only he knows what he enjoys doing more. Uh, and he's thinking about playing, you know, football, which is definitely his choice. Uh, obviously, that garners a lot of discussion, and I was on a radio show uh, earlier today, and I was asked the question, you know, what would I do, you know, if I was him? And because I'm now OG, you know, I just had a birthday, and people called me Unc, I, I looked at it more, you know, <laughs> you know, when I would do those interviews when I was 28, 29, I can, you know, look at it more in a perspective of if I was that actual person, but he's young enough to be my son uh, now, which is crazy to even think about. But I look at it more as a parent. And if I was his father, I mean, my advice would be, I think my personal feelings would be I would want him to play uh, baseball uh, while the upfront money, if you're a first round draft pick in the NFL, uh, is good. It doesn't compete with if you are a long-term, you know, baseball player. Uh, those contracts are guaranteed uh, once you get into the to the thing. They're, they're just bigger. I mean, we're talking about baseball players looking at three hundred, you know, million-dollar contracts, and your average everyday baseball player is probably making more than your a lot of your your Pro Bowl players in the NFL. And even if they're not making as much yearly, uh, because it's guaranteed, uh, they have that security. So just an example, you know, you say someone like, uh, remember Dez Bryant, you know, signed like a, they is reported at time like a $70 million deal, uh, you know, making something like $15 million a year. And, you know, maybe a random outfielder, you know, he signs the same deal, you know, $70 million. Well, Des Bryant gets cut, you know, maybe he only gets 40, 35, whatever it is of that 70, where the outfielder gets it all. You understand what I'm saying? So long-term money is a little bit more secure in baseball. If you're able to make it, there's no guarantee that he would, and it's no guarantee in any 
uh, sport that you're going to make it, you know, long term. Now, the other part of it, which I think honestly is the most the, the most important part, at least in my mind, is that, you know, football, we know, uh, shortens uh, your life and can mess with your brain. Now, that's not every football player, but there's just demands that are put on your body as a football player that are totally different uh, than a baseball player. Uh, you know, being a quarterback the way that he is a quarterback, you know, more on the smaller size, uh, athletic, uh, you know, the, the shelf life is, you know, he's not going to be, you know, well, I can't say, you know, definitively more, but it's unlikely he's going to play like Tom Brady, like, you know, a hundred years to pay Manning or those type of guys. Eli Manning, um, you know, it, it, it doesn't matter if you're, uh, you know, Aaron Rodgers or your Kyler Murray, you, you have an athletic style of playing the quarterback position. The injuries are going to start to, to mount up. And that's not even counting the, the CTE or you see something like what happened with uh, Alex Smith. And, you know, his leg almost got amputated. You know, it's just it's it's just a lot more risk for a lot less money overall. If, you know. Uh, you're just kind of looking at it as equals. With all that being said, it's his decision. He he's the one that has to decide. You want in in life, and it, I don't care if you're a plumber or if you're a, a football player, a baseball player, uh, electrician, uh, a stockbroker. All your life is your decisions. What you want to do, and people should respect that. They could you know disagree with it or say that they would do different, but they shouldn't be emotional about it. And I say all that because we had a situation uh, with an Oakland A's reporter. Her name is, it was, or I should say her name is still, but she was an Oakland A's reporter. Her name was Jen uh, Rainwater. Uh, She wrote for an Oakland A's uh, blog that was owned by SB Nation called uh, Athletics Nation. And once she found out that Kyler Murray was declaring for the draft, which doesn't mean that he won't play baseball, it's just, you know, a declaration. So that's why it's called declare. Um, she basically went on a Twitter rant where she called him a baby and a brat and selfish, uh, which is bad within and of itself. Uh, but then she went on to wish him critical uh, injury in the NFL. And I thought the words critical or critically injured was especially interesting um, because it's just not something that normal people put in a sentence. Like people say all the time, they wish people get hurt. I wish you tell your, you know, your ACL. I wish, you know, you twist your ankle. Uh, I hope you get, you know, knocked out. No one actually uses the term critically injured because the phrasing of that means life-threatening you know that's the whole point you know if if you go to the hospital you're in an ambulance and they say you're in critical condition it's pretty bad you know if you go if you if you twist your ankle you go to the hospital they don't say you're in critical condition they say you twist your ankle you you hurt your shoulder or something that's not critical condition critical condition is something you know really really bad you know life-threatening so to say that about a young man i thought was you know horrific uh, it would be horrific if it was just a random fan that said it or ra- just a random person on social media that said it would be horrific. 
to have it from someone that says that they're in the media is frankly just unimaginable, unheard of. And I was really offended, you know, by it. Because first of all, this is a young black man, this is a white woman uh, saying this. Just it didn't mesh well with me. And you know, I I reached out to SB Nation and, and Athletics Nation uh about it because that's unacceptable. And then come to find out that the the young woman is a bully, is a basically an online bully. And she has been doing this to other people. Uh, there was a there was some DMs where a, a, a guy you know had said that his parents had died, and, and she said that you know I understand, and I would kill myself too if I was your parents, and you know just just real evil stuff. Hoping people you know dog dies, talking to other people in media about you know calling them fat, and just just unhinged type of stuff. And it got me to thinking, honestly. A couple of things, a couple of things that he got me to thinking too. And by the way, she got fired, as she should have. Uh, and I'm glad that she got fired. And I'm not one that like people to get fired. Like it takes a lot for me to say, you know, some of this person should lose their job. But I thought this one was pretty clear that that was, you know, what should happen. Now, I, it got me to thinking of uh, uh, basically two main things. The first thing is, do companies? Well, I guess they go hand in hand. So let me start with this is and I always tell people this. I am what I would call traditionally trained in media, I guess, morality or ways, old ways, Uh, because when I was in college. This was before the you know, this was just at like the, the, the start of the internet. I mean, we're still in, we're talking about dial-up days when, when I was in, when I was in college. I got some texts, but you know, I'm still rolling through this. Um, there was no social media to speak of. Social media back then were like Yahoo chat rooms or AOL chat rooms. Wasn't like it is now. Media was still probably 80, 90% driven, 95% driven by newspapers, magazines, uh, the TV, you know, like, like when was the last time you saw somebody with a Sports Illustrated actual issue? You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, so back then, you know, we were taught in the traditional ways of print, radio, TV, uh, because that was how media was. And, and in those times, you know, to get a job, in media, you really had to work your way from the bottom, you know, all the way up to, you know, assignments. Like, you couldn't just flip on a computer and go to GoDaddy and next thing you know, you're, you know, you have a website and, you know, now you're media. You know, just, it wasn't like that. And I did my fair share of traditional uh, media before uh, I got with BS, before I created BSL. Um, which at the time was considered alternative uh, media. Online media was not respected at all uh, at the time that I started, you know, BSO. Uh, it just there just wasn't a way people consume their uh, their their sports at that time. Obviously, in the last I would say decade, really, if you want, kind of probably, and I, I actually wrote a story about this, so how. 
everything kind of changed in 2009. I think that's 2008, 2009, when Twitter comes, you know, into play, uh, even though it had been around for a while. Uh, and, you know, the high-speed internet, the smartphones, all of that changed the way people consume their their news. And, you know, went from, I remember, you know, when I first started doing stuff, it was like 90%, 80% desktop, 20%, uh, you know, phone or, you know, uh, uh, your cell phone, uh, mobile. And now it's like 85, 90% mobile. You know, 15, 10%, you know, desktop. It's just a different age and a different time. Now, with that, uh, back then in 2009 and going forward, that spawned all of these, you know, websites um, because, A, they were, you know, easy to make and people were being, people were searching out information. Uh, leagues were being a little bit more acceptable uh, to online media. Uh, a company like SB Nation and Bleacher Report and others. Uh, SB Nation, you know, Yard Barker, you know, I was part of the Yard Barker network for a long time. Um, you know, they created all of these websites. And the thing is, though, you need people to run them and you need content, you know, on them. So, you know, you would need contributors and, and people to write on it. And the question really is the people that you have doing the work are they really qualified to be media people? And it's a little bit of a conundrum because I actually like taking people that don't necessarily have the degree and such and like that. And I like kind of molding them into, you know, media people and putting them in positions to get jobs. Uh, you see BSO alumni, people like, you know, Kale Dansby and Erica Fernandez and uh, Greg Smith. Uh, all of these people who worked for me did not have a traditional media background, but now they work in TV. Uh, Erica works for, you know, DAZN. Uh, Greg has is, is done great work in Nebraska, doing the stuff for the, the, the radio and, and things for the, the Cornhuskers uh, down there. So, and, you know, and so many others uh, that I'm probably, you know, leaving out. Uh, you know, someone like Giandra who's doing, you know, Boxing Insider and stuff for Dave Chappelle, like just so many that don't have that traditional background that I try to bring into it. But in some instances, the fact that they don't have that training, they don't have that tutelage, uh, they don't have that experience, what you have is you really have deranged fans working as media. And I think what happens is you kind of see all of the embrace the debate stuff you see Stephen A., you know, trolling the Cowboys. You see Colin Cowherd trolling uh, Baker Mayfield. You see you know, Skip doing, you know, his Skip thing. Shannon with his goat, uh, you know, mask on, you know, caving for LeBron. And I think these young people, they get in the media and they feel like this is the way that we have to do it to be successful. And we have to be like we super fans and to the extreme, though. But people don't understand that to get to a level to where you could do something like Stephen A. Smith, you have to put in 25 years of work, <laughs> you know, even for Skip Bayless or, you know, a Shannon Sharp that's played in the NFL for a long period of time or even a Colin Cowherd, you know, who's had that radio show for, I don't know, 15 years. You have to put in the work before you get to that 
level of where you can be biased and it's more entertainment. And I think a lot of these sites are hiring people that are really just glorified fans and they don't really know how to be journalists and they don't know how to be reporters and they don't, you know, it's embarrassing some of the things that they have on social media. You know, I, like I said, traditionally trained, you know, people for the longest time, and I got a lot of tweets, have tried to find problematic tweets for me. You know, kind of like, you know, put old tweets up on me, but they can't because even at my worst, you know, back when we first started on Twitter, I was smart enough to know, hey, this is a brand. And, you know, I had to watch what I say. I can't be cursing. I can't be calling out people. Yeah, like I, you know, I call out trolls and stuff like that, but you never see me say anything, you know, when I do speak on athletes and everything, it's always in a way that, you know, you may disagree with it, but it's not problematic. I, you know, I'm not, you're not going to find any, you know, anti, you know, g- you know, gay tweets. You're not going to find any anti-Semitic. You're not going to find any racial stuff. You know, you're not going to find me, you know, saying bad things about women. You know, I'm sure I've spoke about R. Kelly in the past, but it's not ever going to be like, oh, you know, I'm not telling an R. Kelly, you know, sex tape joke like Charlemagne. You know, I'm not, I was never that stupid <laughs> to do that. So. Partially, it's the outlet's fault for the situations that, that they're in. They're just not vetting you know, who they're letting on these sites. And that makes me wonder, and I don't know this for certain, but it makes me wonder if, if they knew that she was problematic, but they felt that it was engaging and that's why they had her, you know, they kept her on. And only when, it, you know, it went too far, which is what happens when you let someone that you know problematic just go untouched for such a long period of time, then they had to make a move. But that's where we are right now. So it's a, everybody with a Twitter account and an Instagram account and a, and a, a GoDaddy domain thinks they're a journalist now. And that's not what makes a journalist. I mean, it, it, you have to put in, you know, some actual work to have that status. And I think we're starting to see, and maybe we need to filter out some of these websites and some of these people that are simply problematic fans and not journalists at all. That's just my TED talk. That's the ugly truth. Uh, follow me on Twitter at BSO, Facebook, Black Sports Online, YouTube, BSO TV, along with Instagram, uh, BSO the TV. Uh, what is today? Today's Thursday, I think. Uh, yeah, so this is going to come out on Friday. I don't do the weekends because I have a beautiful girlfriend and we do stuff on the weekends. But I will watch uh, the football games. And hey, if something comes up, something crazy comes up, we'll be back. Uh, next week talking about it i appreciate all the listens all the facebook views all of the the new subscribers i can see the numbers the numbers are looking good so i'll keep it up for you having some good days uh as well on the site and you guys stay safe out there and have a great weekend i'm out